Some of you already probably heard about the latest craze, and it's called extreme sports. Well, extreme sports is basically any sport that is taken to an extreme. For example, snowboarding is fine, but snowboarding, jumping from an airplane and a parachute is apparently greater. I'm told that skiing dangerous steep slopes is wonderful. It's not for me, but it's for a lot of people. But I'm also told that skiing down those steep slopes, jumping from a helicopter is even more wonderful. Extreme sports. Mountain biking is great. But I'm told that biking down snow-covered mountain slalom course at 70 miles an hour is really great. The point is this. Just about all of us watch these athletes perform these extreme sports while we are sitting in our overstuffed lounge chairs where we are safely and comfortably parked in front of the television. And as we sit there watching with utter amazement, our hearts are racing and uh, our heads are shaken in disbelief and praying to God that our kids would never do such foolish things and dangerous things. We overlook one very important matter very important matter. I want to share it with you today, but before I tell you, I'm going to ask you a question. This is a survey to help me, so I need you to help me understand some things, okay? This is not testing you. This is just for my benefit. I want to ask you this. Who is the person who is taking greater risk, the athlete or the television viewer? If you think it's athletes, raise your hand. If you think it's a television viewer, raise your hand. Well, just about most of you said the athletes. Okay. Another question. Who is in greater danger? The couch potato champion or the athlete who's performing these extreme sports? Couch potato champions. All right. Athletes. <laughs> well, I'm contrarian, and, um, but that's not news for you. <laughs> you know that. The ones who are in greater danger are the armchair athletes. You say, well, Michael, how come? How can you even say that? When you sit back and you watch, your blood pressure rises. Most likely, you're stuffing yourself with junk food and that clogs your arteries. (laughs) Your internalized stress is often mounts with no outlet. So these athletes, on the other hand, whom we think they are in danger, they are training and they are keeping fit. And in their fitness, their stress level is lowered. In their fitness, their lungs are more efficient and operate more efficiently. And so then in reality, hurling through the air is less risky than sitting in your overstuffed chair. At least that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Because I'm going to take you from there to the spiritual life, to the Christian life. 
Because I want to show you that in the spiritual life, in the Christian life, it works exactly the same way. Those who sit back and do nothing and criticize everything are in far greater danger than those who roll up their sleeves and take risks for God. Those who are forever receiving, forever consuming, forever taking, forever watching, are in a far more risk category than those who are giving of themselves, those who are sacrificing of themselves, those who are extending themselves, those who are forever serving and forever caring. In fact, the spiritual couch potato champion is in a far, far, far more dangerous situation than those who are sitting physically in front of the television. I'm going to show you. In fact, if you compare the spiritual with the physical, I can tell you most assuredly that the spiritual armchair athletes are running far greater risk than those who are physically lazy. The spiritual armchair athletes may feel safe, but they are being destroyed from the inside out. The spiritual armchair athletes usually develop the following symptoms. Listen to me. They develop a weaker love for Christ. They develop a weaker faith muscles. They develop a weaker lungs to inhale the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God. They develop weaker hearts for the things of God, and ultimately it can cause them spiritual destruction, which is far more serious than physical destruction. According to Jesus, the spiritual couch potatoes, although He doesn't call them that, but you'll see in a minute, He calls them even worse. According to Jesus, the spiritual couch potatoes in Laodicea were in danger of being thrown up by Jesus. So I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. This is the last in a series of messages on the seven churches, seven messages that given by the resurrected Christ to seven churches in Asia Minor, and they represent every church of every time and in every age. The book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Ah, you say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, standing on the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and opens the door, I will come in 
and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Father, we've heard those words, he who has ear, let them hear, seven times. This is the seventh time as we read. And so we plead with you in the name of Jesus, O Holy Spirit, that you would open our inner ears, our spiritual ears, and that you'll open our spiritual eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christians in Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, has the distinction of being the only church of all the seven churches that Jesus could not find one good thing to say about them. (laughs) We've seen some of them in miserable conditions, but at least they had something that Jesus could point out to and said, well, here's something good, but not here. Laodicea itself as a city was founded about 250 B.C. by Antiochus of Syria, and he named it Laodicea after his wife, Laodicea. Laodicea was a remarkable city. I want you to hear me because this is really an important message. It was a remarkable city. It was the kind of city that business motivational speakers would uh, use as an example to all other city governments to emulate. It would be the kind of city that business consultants would have pointed to and say, here's a, a role model of a city that you should emulate. I mean, it was a city that business consultants would use as an exhibit A on the PowerPoint on the screen, and they would say, let me tell you about Laodicea. (laughs) It was a great financial center. Every bank in the world had an office in Laodicea. Every brokerage firm and every investment firm could not afford not to have an office in Laodicea. That's how important it was. Not only that, but it was the manufacturing hub of Asia Minor. It was a manufacturing center. It was the center of manufacturing the finest clothes in the world. It was the fashion capital of the world. In fact, was the Milan of our time. It is the fashion capital of the world. There in Laodicea, where the sheep that grazed were renowned for developing this black, violet, shiny wool that was manufactured into the finest of clothes. But not only that, it was the medical center of that whole area. In the nearby temple, the temple of Mankaro, was a medical school attached to the temple. In fact, this medical school became world famous at that time for discovering an eye salve that helped cure all eye diseases. Laodicea was the financial capital of the world. It was the closing manufacturing capital of the world. It was the medical center of the world. And yet, Jesus says to them, you may be the financial capital of the world, but your spiritual poverty is grinding. 
You might be the clothing manufacturing center of the world, but your spiritual nakedness exposes your shame. You may boast about your eye powder or eye self that you have developed, but in reality, you are spiritually blind that you cannot even see your own desperate condition. And as we've seen in all the seven messages, the Lord Jesus Christ takes one characteristic of the city, and He takes one characteristic of that culture, and He either applies it to them or He warns them against. And that's what He's doing here. But there is a fourth characteristic about that city of Laodicea that you must understand in order to understand what Jesus is saying. And that is the water supply in the city of Laodicea. The water supply came to the city of Laodicea through several miles of underground aqueducts. And by the time it reached the city, that water was foul. It was dirty. It was tipid. In fact, it was not warm or hot enough like the hot springs of nearby Heriopolis. And it was not cold enough that is refreshing streams that, like it was in the nearby city of Colossae. No, <laughs> the supply of water in the city of Laodicea was only good for one thing, and that is you drink it when you want to vomit. True. Back then, they didn't know how to pump the stomachs, of course, so that, you know, the, the way they got themselves, forced themselves to vomit, they drink some water from Laodicea. That will really take care of you. And here's what Jesus is saying to the Laodiceans. He's saying, you are like your city water. Your indifference is making me sick. Your apathy is making me nauseous. Your half-hearted commitment makes me feel like I've just drank a glass of your water. Someone said there are some believers who make Jesus weep. Some believers make Jesus angry, and there are some who make Him sick. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is saying three things here to the believers in the church in Laodicea. First, He alerts them to their disastrous condition. Secondly, He advised them how to get out of their disastrous condition. And thirdly, He awards those who get out of that disastrous condition. First, He alerts them. Beloved, the truth is, every one of us, young or old, every one of us, including your pastor, we all have blind spots. And uh, the reason I call blind spots is because we're not aware of them. And uh, the question is not that whether you have blind spots or I have blind spots or not. We all have them. The question is, how do you deal with your blind spots when somebody confronts you with them? There are several ways you can react to somebody talking to you about your blind spots. A godly person would say, thank you, please let me take this to the Lord. I'm going to examine my life, and I'm going to do business with God. An ungodly person becomes angry. What do you mean blind spots? I mean, you know, basically protesting because they think they're perfect. That's the problem. <laughs> but then there's a third group. The third group is made up of people who don't react one way or the other. It's like the guy who says, I'm neither for nor against apathy. <laughs> but do you know, truly, and as I spend time with the Lord, with, with His Word here in the Scripture, do you know that apathy probably is the Lord's enemy number one? 
You see, he knows how to handle the fanatics. <laughs> he knows how to handle those who reject him. But it is those who are half-hearted is the, to give the Lord the hardest time, the worst time. And beloved, I want to tell you something while I'm at it. Our whole reason why our nation is in the situation it's in today, the whole reason why we are now talking about marriage other than the way God intended it six, for 6,000 years is because the believers in Jesus Christ were apathetic. And so, he warns them. He says, your blind spot is that you are not realistic about your spiritual condition. Your blind spot is that you're so smug and self-satisfied with where you are spiritually. Your blind spot is that you are resting on your worldly reputation. Your blind spot is that you are placing your confidence in your material resources. Your blind spot is that you're so puffed up with the statement of your net worth. In other words, you are blind to your real condition, your real spiritual condition, but Jesus sees straight through it. You may be materially rich, says Jesus to the Laodicean, but you are spiritually homeless and penniless. You may dress up in designer clothes, but in reality, you are naked in your shame and sin. You may be able to boast about the eye salve that your medical center has produced, but in reality, you are blind to what really, really, really matters. Beloved, listen. All sins are infectious. All sins are infectious. But the most infectious sin of all is the sin of pride. Is the sin of pride. And Jesus had to speak to them so bluntly, it's as if he's shaking them up and saying, Wake up and smell the coffee. You are a beggar in spite of your banks. You are blind in spite of your eye powder. You are naked in spite of your clothing manufacturing companies. He first alerts them. Secondly, he advises them. He said, I counsel you. Look at verse 18, please. I'm going to tell you something. It's a foundational verse. Verse 18. He says, I counsel you. Do you know, I read this verse, I don't know how many times during the week. <laughs> but every time I read this verse, I got goosebumps all over my Every time I read it, I got goosebumps all over my body. And I thought the more I read it, the more familiar I become with it. But I really didn't. Every time, I am getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. I counsel you. Lord, here's the God who said, let there be light. And light was in its place. Here's the God who kicked his fingers and all the galaxies began to revolve with such meticulous precision around his design. And he says, I counsel you. Listen, he could have said, I order you. He could have said, I command you. He could have said, I demand of you. And nobody would have said anything. He describes himself as the ruler of the universe in the first verse. Why? Oh, because Jesus respects the freedom that he gives us. I said, I advise you. I know if you've ever been there or not, but I know I've been there 
and I've been with other people who've been there. When you see someone who is foolishly and in, in, a, in a foolish trip in his life or her life, hurting people left and right, hurting people left and right, well, how do we pray? I think most of us, if not all of us, we pray very simply, God, stop him, change her, right? And God says, I'm speaking to them. Oh, God, what do you mean speaking to them? Change, do something, stop him. And God says, I'm sending them various messages and I'm sending them different messengers. God, you got to stop them now. <laughs> and God says, I'm counseling them. I'm counseling them. I'm advising them. <laughs> I, wanna, I want you to listen very carefully. See, God can terrify us if he wants to, but he often doesn't. God can order us, but he doesn't. He can demand of us, but often he doesn't. He prefers to counsel us. He prefers to call us. He prefers first to advise us. He prefers first to guide us. He prefers first to lead us. Oh, to be sure, there are tragic ends to our refusal of his counsel. There are dire consequences to our refusal of his advice. Yes, I don't miss that, but he begins with counseling. I counsel you. You see why? I get goosebumps every time I think the God of the universe says, I counsel you. What does he counsel them about? He counsels them, telling them to come to him and to buy true gold that is refined with fire. To come to him and buy real clothes that will cover the shame of sin. To come to him and buy real good eye drops that is not just going to cure them, but is going to heal them from their spiritual blindness. Probably some of you already kind of wondered when you heard the Bible being read or if you read it on your own and you saw, wait a minute, perked your ear and said, Jesus said, come and buy from me? What does that mean? Buy? Are we going to buy our salvation now? Is that what Jesus is saying? You mean I can buy my salvation from him? No, in a million no, but you heard it right. You can never buy your salvation in a hundred lifetimes. So what is Jesus saying? What is he saying here? Come and buy from me. Listen, listen very carefully. He is offering the deal of the lifetime. He's offering the bargain of the lifetime. He is offering the best buy in history. Here's what he's saying. Come to me, and in exchange of your giving me your sin and shame, I will give you forgiveness. Come to me, and in exchange of your pride and your arrogance and your haughtiness, I will give you my righteousness. Come to me, and in exchange of your rusty iron of stubbornness and disobedience, I'll give you my gold of obedience. Come to me, and in exchange of your misguided pride and your accomplishments and in your achievements, I will give you true peace, true joy, and true contentment. I tell you something, only a foolish person would turn down this deal. 
Now, those of you who don't know, I grew up in the Middle East. And I know a bugging when I see one. <laughs> and if I don't see a bugging, I'll try to get one. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. On the authority of the greatest bugging in the world, I'm telling you, this is the best bugging that has ever existed. <laughs> Here's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Give me the trash of your life and I'll give you true riches. What a deal. What a deal. You know, scholars always love to argue about everything. I mean, if they don't have an argument, they'll create one. And scholars have always argued whether the church in Laodicea was made up of nominal Christians, that is, people who never really knew the truth, Or was it made up of believers who knew the truth and then became carnal and turned their back on the truth? I have a very simple answer to that argument. I don't care. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. It makes no difference. It really makes no difference what condition they were in. If Satan had blinded any of their hearts... Whether that person is a church goer or not, whether that person had once known the truth or not, it makes no difference. The message of the resurrected Jesus Christ is the same. Come, come, come to me. In fact, the risen Christ is the one who's doing all the coming to you. He's the one who says, I am knocking on the door of your heart and waiting. He is the one, although he is the master of the house, yet he does not beat down the door of your heart. He's a gentleman. He gently knocks, and then he waits. And then he knocks, and then he waits some more. And then he knocks, and then he waits some more until you hear him. And open the door of your heart and invite him in. And his final decision about the judgment of anyone is dependent on whether you've heard his knock and opened the door of your heart and began to fellowship with him. You see, if he first alerts them, secondly, he advises them. And thirdly, he awards those who hear his voice. He who overcomes, he will give them the right. He said, I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne. (laughs) Does that buggle your mind? It really does mine. It really does mine. First he says, give me the trash in your life. And I'll exchange it with the gold, the real gold. And then he says, if you accept this unbelievable bargain, if you accept this unbelievable exchange, then you're going to sit with me on the throne. You see, this award exceeds all other promises that we have been seeing in all the seven churches. We've seen an award at the end of each one. But this one exceeds them all, exceeds them in glory, exceeds them in honor, exceeds them in authority. As if Jesus is saying, let me in the very chambers of your heart, into the very seat of your will, 
into the very seat of your decision-making, and I will let you into my Father's throne room. You invite me to daily fellowship with you, not for breakfast or lunch, because back then there were very small meals, but for supper, which was the main meal. It is the main foundation of your life. It is the main focus of your life. Get me in there, and I will not only fellowship with you right here in your home, in your business, in your car, on wherever you go, but you'll fellowship with me in heaven. You hand me the authority over your life, and I will give you authority to judge the universe. I told you it's a great bargain. (laughs) It's a great deal. It's a deal of a lifetime. I can tell you with authority that is the deal of a lifetime. Plead with you. Don't turn it down. I want to conclude by talking to you about those words that are repeated in every one of the seven messages. One sentence repeated, repeated, same, no change, exactly the same, it's repeated. He who has an ear, let him hear. What does that mean? What did Jesus say? Please, whatever you do, do not switch off. This is very important. He who has an ear, let him hear. What's that mean? I left it deliberately to the end. Here's what it means. It means you you cannot be sitting here today or watching by television or hearing by radio and say to yourself, this message would have been great for so-and-so. It means that you cannot say, man, I wish so-and-so were here to listen to this message or hear this message or watch this message. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus meant. He's meant that this is a message for you and you and you and you and me. It is for us to hear and it is for us to obey. Jesus is saying that this message is meant for each of you who have heard it and read it. Every admonition is meant for you. Every promise is meant for you. Every encouragement is meant for you. He who has an ear, let him hear. Means that Jesus' message to the seven churches were not only meant for those original recipients, but it's meant for every one of us who hear it today. He who has an ear, let him hear. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.